before we open God's Word, let's pray again. Our Father, we, we are encouraged again and again when we see the way in which you work in the lives of those who are desirous of following you. Lord, whether young or old, as a great hymn says, young men and maidens, old men and children, I pray that this congregation will be a congregation that is known for its family life, its family love, its family communication. For Father, you have left us in a world to be a witness to it. And I pray that we will be nothing other than a witness to that world. We pray, our God, that you will remember those of our family members that are not well today. We pray for Earl and for Sue, and we pray for Stan and for Nancy. We thank you, our God, for those, Lord, whom you bring back again and again from their sick beds to be with us. We pray that, Lord, in your will and in your way and in your time, you will touch them and raise them to health in the will and purpose of God. We pray, our God, that you will be with those of our young people who have graduated from uh, high school and universities and will be looking for jobs and further education. Guide them, Father. May they not, may they not be like wandering stars. May they be like, like missiles that are guided, directed, under the control of God the Holy Spirit. We pray, our God, for our ministry. We pray, Father, that people who come to us will sense that we are in the presence of God. We are God's people, not only by name, but by practice. May they feel the love. May they know the prayers. May they know the, the commitment that we have to God's truth and to God's people. We ask that you will, Lord, open our eyes that we might be conscious of needs around us in the community. Father, that we might be ready to serve when called upon, that it will not be hard for us to sacrificially give if it means that God's name is going to be glorified. We pray that you will be with those of our members who are traveling this morning who are not with us, Pam and, and Dwayne and Emma and, and John and others are God. We pray that they will know that they are being remembered here even at this moment. We ask that you will grant to those who have come, perhaps with burdens hearts this morning, that, Father, they will know that they can cast their burdens upon you because you care for them. We ask that we might see your mighty hand at work as we trust in the Lord with all our hearts, never leaning to our own understanding, but acknowledging him in all our ways. We thank you again. We ask your blessing upon your word as we now open it to hear what you will say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, two verses. I thought when I was studying this week that we're making headway because last week was one verse. This week there are two verses. And uh, we will continue to make our way. But I think it is, it is extremely essential that we understand that the Bible is not a book of theory. 
there are that kind of a situation. But the Bible is a book that is intended to give instruction. I was talking to someone yesterday, and I was saying, I am the worst person for following books of instructions. I really am. Um, I remember when I was fixing some kind of a toy for my daughter when she was a little girl. The worst part of fixing anything at all is to have pieces left over. I mean, and every time I did it, I told someone, you know, I, 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 my daughter is 37 years old now, and um, I, I was building her a, um, um, a dollhouse, and it's still in progress. <laughs> I, I, I find it hard to, to, to follow instructions. I, I, I did some stuff to my vehicle, and... I had to get some instruction books, so I went back to the guy and said, there is no instruction for what I've just done. He said, you've got to go on the internet to get the instructions. So I thought, okay, shouldn't be a big deal. So I went in, 200 pages. I said, forget it. <laughs> so every time something goes wrong with them, I go to the store and ask the guy what to do. He says, okay, I've fixed it, I'll see you next time. <laughs> The Bible is a book of instruction. And if we miss what it is saying about our practical life, we struggle and we strive and we try to find answers for situations that we come across day by day. Uh, I always say that the Bible is not a book of science, but it speaks to scientists. It is not a book on philosophy, but it speaks to philosophers. It is a book that speaks on human behavior. And we come to one of those emotions this morning that most of us struggle with. I was on the phone yesterday morning trying to get J.C. Penney. And if I, if I didn't know I had anger in me, I found it out yesterday. <laughs> I tried for almost, I think about 10 times, I got this automated voice. And it would never direct me to customer service. I finally got through yesterday afternoon. I was kind. But I'm going to tell you, I had to really remind myself to whom you belong, boy. To whom you belong. Anger. It is a human emotion that we all go through. While watching a little bit of the basketball game last night, I was reminded by a commercial from Charlie Sheen, an anger management. And he needs it if anybody does. But we all do. Because there, there is passive as well as active anger. And one of the things we must learn is how to handle either of them. Because they destroy lives, they destroy homes, they destroy communities. Not too long ago on, around Mount Hood, somebody was following a guy very closely and the guy in front didn't like it so he just drove off to the side so this guy behind him that was in a hurry could uh, pass him. Instead of passing him, he got out of his car, had a gun, pulled it and shot the guy. Anger. Where does it come from? 
Well, let's see if we can find some answers on how to deal with it from the book of instruction on our practical lives, if you please. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, or as the King James rightly says, on your wrath. You will see why in a minute. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Do not give the devil an opportunity. If it is practical preaching we want, Ephesians chapter 4 is taking us into practical living. Chapter 5 is going to deal with the home and marriage. Chapter 6 is going to deal with employers and employees. Then it's going to it culminate with, with spiritual warfare. How do we deal with issues of life that we do not understand? It might be of interest to you to know that the first expression of anger in the Bible is against God. It was Cain in chapter 4 of Genesis. When he refused to do what God told him to do, God said to him, why are you angry? If you do what is right, you wouldn't be angry. So it is my prayer this morning that as we look into this text, you will realize that this is God's word. This is not my opinion, our opinion, church's opinion. This is God speaking. And he's saying that that he has something to say about anger, about being angry. And the first thing we learn from our text is that anger is permitted. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because everything you and I know about anger is that anger is negative, is destructive. But it is interesting to me that the Bible has, not the Bible, I should say, I should say the New Testament, because the Hebrew word is different than not different, but pronounced different, has different nuances to it. I'm, I'm indebted to Dr. Kenneth Wiest for the three Greek expressions of anger that you can find in the New Testament. Three of them. Listen to them. The first word that is used for anger in the Bible is a word which means to be turbulent, to be in an inward commotion to be boiling, to be agitated, to have my feelings disruptive. It means to be boiling up and sometimes subsiding with my anger. This is found in Ephesians 4, 31. The word thomas, T-H-U-M-O-S. It means to, be, to have a, a turbulent spirit. You know what that is like. The second word that is used for anger is a word which means to be wrathful, to be full of wrath, to anger that is unabated. It is an ongoing irritation followed by an exasperation of embitterment. The third word that is used is a word transliterated, orge. O-R-G-E. This is anger 
which is an abiding and settled habit of mind. This anger is aroused under certain conditions. We have three words for anger. Which one is permitted? It is the last one. It is the anger that is abiding. And it is a habit, but it is aroused under situations, and we shall see what those situations is. So what do we mean to be angry? It is a command, not a suggestion. It is a word that is found in God. Psalm 711 says God is angry every day. Now we don't, we, don't, we don't sing God is angry, this I know. We sing Jesus loves me, this I know. But the scripture says that God is angry every day. Mark chapter 3 verse 5. Jesus became angry with his contemporaries because of what they were doing. So the anger that is permitted is an emotion that is grieved at what sin has done to man and what man has done as a result of sin. This anger is that I look at what is happening. It is, it is, it is an anger that belongs to God. It is a righteous anger. But we must be careful when we exercise it because we are not righteous by nature. We are not holy by nature. What I want you to see, that if anger is in God, then anger has a place in a human experience. We can't say we never get angry. When I was a student, the first college, the, the, the president and his wife were celebrating their 45th wedding anniversary. And, and she got up and she said, we have lived together for 45 years and we have never had a disagreement. <laughs> I remember sitting there and I said to myself, that may be true, but one of you, have, one of you has not said a word in 45 years. <laughs> See, we, we, we think that because it... Anger always has this negative commotion going on in us that it, it's not right. But what I want you to see is that God's anger is not an anger that is vindictive. That is, it is not an anger that bursts out without any control. God sees anger as a result of something else. He sees that the cause of this, this irritation, you see, Let's, let's look at, at Cain. Cain became angry at God because he didn't like what God had to say. And when God is angry every day, it is because he's seeing that the very same spirit that was in Cain has been destroying lives from time immemorial. One of the things that's going on in our world today, and again, I say Portland is, is known for this, one of the chief cities of human trafficking. Can we know that that is going on without becoming angry? I, I want to suggest to you, my friends, that the Bible speaks of this anger in more directions than one. Because as, by, by, by human beings, what we tend to do, we tend to pick the things that we will be angry about. Human behavior that 
we can live with and human behavior we cannot live with. So we choose the subjects that we will be angry with or for. But I want you to see that when the Bible says, you'll be angry, it is telling you because you are being recreated in the likeness of God that your anger comes from the same disposition from which it comes from God. That we see anger because we see what sin is doing to the human being. Oh my, can you look at the television at what's happening in Syria without becoming angry that one human being can sit in his high tower and allow children and women and young people to be barbarically massacred and put in mass graves. You couldn't watch that without being angry. But your anger must come not because you'd like to wring his neck. Your anger must come because you realize that the base for this behavior is sin. A word we don't like in this modern age. But my friends, God is angry every day because sin has corrupted his world and wherever there is corruption, holiness responds to it. It sees it, not vindictively, but worthy of judgment. And by the way, that's why the cross is there. God showed how angry he was at sin. His love overcame it, and he gave his son to die for what causes man to behave that way. But the permission is guarded. Not only do we have permission to be angry, but the permission is guarded. Listen to what it says. Be angry, but do not sin. Because it is possible, you see, for my anger to take over God's place. So that James reminds us in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. The wrath of man does not provide or produce the righteousness of God. My anger can be taken to the place where it, it takes over in my life. It controls me so that now, not even if the thing that first caused it, it might have been somebody did something wrong to me and I became angry and I didn't deal with it properly. Now that anger has become a way of life so that I'm angry at everything. I'm angry at the truck driver. I'm angry at the bicycle rider. I'm angry at my husband. I'm angry at my wife. It doesn't matter. It is becoming a way of life. And I live with it. I nurse it. This is what the text is saying. Let me give you an example. Moses was known as the most humble man of his time. Every time something happens to Moses, criticism from his sister and his brother. He would fall on his face before God. And one time the people of Israel, as they were traveling through the wilderness, they were complaining and they were constantly complaining, constantly complaining. And somehow this complaining spirit got the best of Moses and he fell before God and he says to God, you know, I didn't ask you to, give, to let me bring these people out of, out of Egypt. And God told Moses what to do. God said to Moses, take your rod 
and speak to the rock and water will come for the people. Moses went from God and his spirit was still boiling. And when he got to the people, he said, you rebels, you come and I will strike this rock. See, first of all, God didn't tell him to strike the rock. He said to speak to it. You see, when anger takes over our lives, it becomes, it it clouds our ability to reason things out. And we react without thinking because that is our MO. That's how we operate. My friends, it can happen to any of us. Please believe me. We're talking about the disposition with which we were born. With which we were born. And it is nursed in several ways. And God said to Moses, listen to what God said to him. The people drove him to be angry. But God said to Moses, you did not justify me before the people. God didn't blame the people for Moses' anger. God blamed Moses for Moses' anger. Be angry. But don't sin. Realize that there is a limit to our anger. And if it does not come from the same motivation with which you are being created, we're being created again in the likeness of God. So I must be sure that my anger is consistent with the disposition with which now I am being recreated in the likeness of God. So we read in Romans chapter 12 and verse 19, Do not say I will repay what they have done to me. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Make way. If I take care of what others have done to me, if I live an angry life, then my friends, God has nothing to say to you and me. He can't give victory because we have already taken over. We have already already satisfied ourselves. And if we satisfy ourselves, then we leave no room for God. To do what is just and what is right. God says, don't take vengeance into your own hands. And sometimes we, we can be kept from the promised land of victory in our lives as Moses was kept from the promised land because he lost his temper. This, this man that was a humble man, the very thing that should have taken him into the land was intercepted by a spirit of anger. And he was not able to see what God had promised. So the permission is granted, but the permission is guarded. Don't sin. In other words, the moment anger takes over your life, you move yourself from God's provision to overcome anger. So here here we have anger. But I want you to see what I call the fascination with anger. There is a fascination with anger. Uh, it's, it's, listen, listen to what it says. And do not let the sun go down on your wrath. See? Be angry. And don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. See, it has moved now. It has moved now from the agitation to bitterness. See, anger is the agitation, wrath is the bitterness. And oh, my friends, when bitterness takes over our lives, we are in great danger. 
Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. We become fascinated when we think that we have a right to be angry. And if anger becomes a cancer to the soul, it can be fatal. It can be fatal. Proverbs 14 and verse 30 reads this way. A tranquil heart is like is life to the body, but passion, anger, emotional outbursts, but passion is rottenness to the bones. It is saying that anger, if it is not under God's control, can affect us physically. Rottenness to the bones. Talking about, about all kinds of things that go on to the human body when anger takes over. Just, just ask Esau and you will find out. What does, it mean, what does it mean then to be fascinated with anger? Let, let me give you a quick, quick overview. In 1 Samuel 18, Saul became angry with David because David was getting more attention than he was. 1 Samuel 18. In 1 Samuel 19, 1, Saul became so angry, it took over his life. He went to bed without dealing with it, that he said to all his followers, kill David. He was now spreading his wrathful spirit to everyone that worked for him. Kill David. 1 Samuel 20, 30. The 34, Saul is not only angry with himself, he wants everybody else to get angry. And then what he, when, when his son Jonathan was friends to David, he said, Jonathan, I could kill you, and he tried. His own son became his enemy because his anger had become a cancer in his soul. What does it mean for anger to actually take control. Frederick Buchner said this in a book that he's written called Wishful Thinking Transformed. Listen to this. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. Why? Why? I'll tell you why, he said. To lick your wounds... To smack your lips over grievance long past. To roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come. To savor to the last toothsome morsel both pains you are given and pains that have been given to you. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback of this feast is that you are, you are really destroying yourself. And Satan knows that, that we, that we can consume ourselves and we can destroy what is most precious to us, our husbands, our wives, our marriage, our children, our families, our friends in Christ, our churches, with our sinful anger, we rob God of his glory. All at the same time, this is what happens when we nurse anger until tomorrow. Wow. 
I read that and I thought, man, it, you know, have you, have you ever looked at some of those commercials that says if you're suffering from one thing, you take this one and it's, it's supposed to be a, a, a cure and then they tell you the side effects? And I keep thinking, why would I want to buy that stuff? I'll be dead by the time I'm finished. Well, this is what anger does, friends. It says, you have a right, but look in the process what you're going to do. You're going to destroy your whole life. It's rottenness to the bones. And God knew this, and so he had Paul directed by the Holy Spirit to say, be careful, friends, be careful, husbands, be, be careful, wives, be careful, children, be careful, pastor, be careful, church, be careful that anger doesn't become a sore. It has no place in the family of God if it is destructive. No place. That's the fascination that is personal when it comes to anger. But I want you to see the potential, the potential with this fascination. Look at verse 27. Be angry. Do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give an opportunity to the devil. Here is the most dangerous part of it. Jesus said that the devil comes to steal and to kill. Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and an angry spirit is an opportunity for the devil. An angry spirit is an opportunity to the devil. When anger leads to sin, it opens the door for Satan to take over. We are told that Satan prowls. He's looking for that, that spirit that he can take over and poison to the point where there is no escape from it. It was said that when, when, when Stalin, when Joseph Stalin was dying, his, his daughter, Stefanos, told the story. When Stalin was dying, on his sick bed, the last thing he did was to clench his fist to God. And he died. That's the last thing he did. Imagine to live a life like that, where you leave this world angry with God, live this world angry with people, and angry with yourself. I don't know if it frightens you, friends, but I'm going to tell you. Yesterday morning, when, when I was trying to get through to, to J.C. Penny, and they were trying to explain to me what was wrong, and I knew it was not so, because uh, I knew what was told to me. I had to remind myself again and again, remember that you are a child of grace. Remember that you are a child of grace. Because, see, I had to remind myself, that person, that person on the other side is not responsible for what J.C. Penney does. They're an employee. They have to follow policies. And so I had to watch two things. 
Two things. I had to watch my spirit. And I had to watch my words. Those two things. And how did I do that? First of all, I realized that God is in control of what happens to me or what does not happen to me. And if God is in control of it, he knows the nature of it. And since he is angry with evil all the time, if what was done to me was evil, God is not pleased with it. So he becomes my defender. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have to, to make myself judge and jury of human behavior. I say what God says, and then I say, how are you with it? So I, you know, I, I, well, I won't say more. Secondly, 1 Peter 5, 7. It is in this context that Peter says we should cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. Because Satan is prowling around. Cast your cares upon God. Don't nurse it. Release it to God. One of the things that you will find with David, Saul had David as an enemy all through his life. But David never had Saul as an enemy. He never had Saul as an enemy. And my friends, when we are made in the likeness of God, and people begin to find this kind of a spirit, life-like, spirit-like God coming through, they will ask the reason for our hope. And when they ask the reason for our hope, we will be able to tell them, I wasn't born like this, you know. I was born again to be like this. That's what the text says. Be angry. Don't give in to evil, corruption. No matter how, 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 how close or how far away it is, but be careful that your anger does not make you a little deity to try and do what needs to, that only God can do. Don't, don't, and especially when it becomes personal, don't let the sun go on without the wrath being cared for because if you take today's anger into tomorrow's living, it will become wrath, it will become sin. And when it becomes sin, it becomes the devil's domain. And when it becomes the devil domain, it interferes with our witness, with our lives, and with the glory of God. Casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we continue in the practical side of Ephesians. How to speak and to speak the truth. How to feel and to feel without sinning. That anger does not become a way of life for us. It has no place if it's not Christ-like anger. And Lord, I don't know, and you know that I have prayed again and again that I never point my messages, never point them. So it has no one in mind, but I pray that the Holy Spirit will deal with us as he dealt with me yesterday, that we might get rid of anger by releasing the experience to God so that he will repay.
what needs to be repaid, even when we have to feel some of the pains of what is done to us. So I pray that, Lord, as we sing this last song, we have a throne above that that's where we will deal with anger in our prayers to God for his glory. In Christ's name, amen.